God, we praise you tonight, Lord. We give you the praise and the glory because you're such a great and wonderful God. Come on, let's, let's lift up a praise unto him right now. Lord, we praise your wonderful name, Jesus. God, we thank you for being such a great and mighty and wonderful God in the name of Jesus. Now let's give a hand clap unto him. Okay, you can be seated. Bear with me a moment while I get organized up here. Make sure my tail's gone. Okay. Um, so there's a big industry among industry people to try to tell you what kind of person you are. And what I mean by this is it's a personality test. Has anybody here ever taken a personality test for work or whatever else? Do y'all remember what your designation was or whatever? I was either green over blue or blue over green. I really don't remember. But a company I used to work for 10 years ago believed so much in these personality tests that on the particular project that we were on, it was... I don't know, six or eight months. Well, it was during the winter season from October to March because we were working in uh, like northern Alberta, Canada, almost in the Northwest Territories. And we could only go there because the ground was frozen. If, if the ground wasn't frozen, you couldn't get trucks in there, you couldn't get rigs in there, you couldn't get anything in there because it's marsh. But the thing about northern Canada, there's no such thing as mar marsh in the wintertime. It's all ice roads. But they believe so much in these personality tests and, and designations that they sent, I think they were called color coaches or something like that, but our program was called the E-Colors, and you go through this two days of training to figure out what your colors were. And they gave you a little sticker that you put on your hard hat, and it had a little fellow on it, and the top half was your dominant personality trait, and your lower half was your uh, non-dominant personality trait, for better words. Uh, and I was, I think it was green over blue, and what that meant is that uh, I was more of the uh, quiet type, didn't really like to talk to people, I like to think about things on my own, uh, I don't really seek out help like I should when trouble arises, um, I'm open to ideas and all this stuff. So, what, and, and the point of it was, is when you come up to talk to somebody, instead of saying, hey, my name's Brandon, how are you? You're supposed to look at their emblem up there, and that's how you're supposed to approach this guy. And, and uh, you know, I was blue over green, and green over blue was kind of like me. Then they had yellows and reds. That was only four colors, green, blue, yellow, and red. And if you come up to a a yellow over red or red over yellow, well, then they were more of a strong personality, you know, and they, they might be a little snippy or whatever. But, but so much money, and I just think about that, so much money and time and effort was spent on this program that kind of took the, uh, the true personality out of it because it coached you in how you're supposed to talk to people. You know, it just takes, it, take, it was supposed to take the human element out of it and it was supposed to uh, promote a healthier work environment. 
And y'all may not believe this, but it was kind of just a big joke to everybody in the field, you know, that was actually working there, except for the actual coaches, you know, because that that's what their deal was. And, boy, when they come around, you really had to put it on. It's like, okay, this guy here, he's – does anybody know what I'm talking – I know Brother Britt does. But really what it boils down to, I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to facilitate more productive conversation among different types of people because that's exactly what there are in this world. There are different types of people. But what I want to tell you all tonight is that really there are only two types of people. And everybody in this sanctuary right now fits into one of the two groups that I'm about to tell you all about. And it's real easy to check which group you fit into. I I could do it in about two minutes, maybe five because it's raining outside. There you go. There's two types of people. The first type of people, person, is the one that when their gas gauge gets to about half a tank, they start looking for a gas station because they don't want to run out of gas. The other type of person is the one that's not afraid of that low fuel light to come on. And everybody in here fits into one of those two categories. And all it would take is to go outside and look in your car and you may have just got gas in the last couple of days, but more than likely, your gas light's usually on. And according to some research that I've made up, those that are not afraid of that glowing ember of the low fuel light, those that are not afraid of that 10 o'clock position on the fuel gauge, They're the adventurous type. They're the type that see a challenge around every corner. They're not afraid to take risks. They live life to the fullest. If I run out of gas, big deal. I'll walk and run into something more adventurous than hoping that I make it to the gas station. And those that don't let their tank go past a half and maybe a quarter of a tank. Those people, they're boring. And I want to tell y'all right now, my gas gauge is full, but it's only because I hadn't drove my truck since I've been home from work this time. Yeah, Yeah, that gas gauge will make you do math, won't it? Now, I know for a fact that I've saw that gas light on before, and when it's been on, I fit at least 25 gallons into my tank, and it's a 30-gallon tank. And I get 15 miles a gallon, 15 times 5, I got 75 miles. From my house to the church is uh, 13 miles, and then back home, 26. I go back to the church one more time. That's uh, 39, yeah, okay, so I can make it three more times. And then I can make it to choir practice and maybe to the Mexican restaurant, and then back before I get gas. Yeah, I think I can do that. Has anybody ever had that conversation in their head? I have many times. And I'm telling you, don't trust that gas light. I ain't ever run out of gas, but 
that, that car of ours that's got a 26-gallon tank, and the most I've ever put in it was 22 gallons of gas. And that gas light has been on for a number of miles at a time. But that's not what I want to talk about. It kind of is, but not really. I just kind of wanted to set the, the stage for what I really want to talk about. There's something about the way we judge our lives in two categories, full or empty. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, empty. There's a good story in the Bible about this mentality. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16 uh, through 21. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21. And he, being Jesus, uh, he, he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within, within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself, and is not rich toward God." Now, to me, this guy, he's, he's very symbolic of, of myself and, and a lot of other people here. You know, the way we judge ourselves, either, either full or empty. Okay, my bank account's full, so I'm good. My bank account's empty, so I'm in trouble. My refrigerator's good. I'm my, full. I'm good. Everything's all right. Or when you go there and there's no food in the, in the refrigerator or the cabinet or the cupboard, I, I'm just not feeling very blessed, but that's just human nature. That's just human mentality to judge your situation in life as either being full or being empty. And I, I'll tell you all this, I kind of had a, uh, a wrong impression of this fellow. Yes, his barns were full. He, uh, he didn't have anything to worry about. He was a blessed man. And all he wanted to do was tear down his barns and build bigger and save up for retirement and then... Then the Lord come in and said, Thy soul shall be required. And, and then all this stuff that he had was gone. And I was thinking, I think I got it confused with the other rich man that obviously went to hell. You know the one Lazarus? He said, let Lazarus dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I read this story and I was like, I get it. I get that he prepared himself for the rest of his life and that all this stuff that he had stored up was, was for nothing because he died, but... Where, where was his sin? And, and like I say, I think I may have just got it confused with the other rich man. I, I'm not necessarily sure that being full is, is, is sinful. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with planning for the future, with having a retirement account, with, with putting a little away for later just, just in case bad times hit. And... And I guess in my mind I was thinking that, you know, this guy done something wrong, but the, the real point of the story is lay up treasures on earth, but also lay up treasures in heaven because that's where it really counts. 
you know, no matter how big your bank account is or how small or how full your pantry is or, or how empty, it's all about what you store up there because that's the only thing that's truly eternal. Every, no matter what else it could possibly be, that's the only thing that really matters. Now, we do have to get by while we're here, and, and you know, there, there is a certain comfort in having enough, but ultimately, Jesus goes on to say, take no thought, because look at the sparrows, look at the, the flowers, I provide for them, how much more will I provide for you? And I read it again, and I was like, I, I, I just couldn't find the sin now. He did have a severe case of the eyes and mys. Do y'all know what that is? Let me read it again with an uh, emphasis on the eyes and mys. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to, where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. So that's the case of the eyes and my's. You know, it was all about him. It was all about me and my. It wasn't about, Lord, you've blessed me in such a great and mighty way. The only thing that I can do is, is build bigger barns to store more of what you've blessed me with. See, that's an that's a attitude issue there. I've tilled this ground and my fruits and my goods are in abundance. As opposed to, God, you've blessed me and you've given me all this stuff. Now, is that sinful to be so narcissistic? Probably so. But the fact of the matter is, our, our very doctrine is centered around being filled. And I know I want to talk about emptied, but let's talk about being filled for a minute because his barns are filled. Hey, all of our barns here are filled tonight. Regardless of whether you think they are or not, uh, the, I know the Bible says it's easier for a a camel, a camel to go through the eye of a needle or something to that effect and a rich man to make it to heaven. And, you know, first thing you do is get out that old chase app and, whew, I ain't got nothing to worry about there. <laughs> chase bank. But the fact of the matter is, no matter what your lot in life here is tonight, in the eyes of 90% of this world, you're rich. I'm talking about abundantly rich you go to some of these third world countries, you see people literally living in piles of trash. I, I, I mean, rummaging through garbage for their next meal. Church, we're blessed here. We're blessed in this parish. We're blessed in this state. We're blessed in this country. By the eyes of the world, we're rich. The danger in that is, as you start depending on these full barns, to provide for you instead of depending on the God that's in heaven to really provide for you. But anyway, I digress. Our very doctrine is centered around being filled. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire that set upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. 
and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad tonight that we have a filling God. We have a God that's willing to fill us with His Spirit, with His presence, with His power. I'll go so far as to say when you're born, you're born with a God-shaped void in your life. And there's no other thing in this world that can fill that void other than God. People try to fill it with all manner of stuff, alcohol, drugs, uh, relationships, whatever else. There's no other thing that can fill that emptiness in your life other than God. And I'm so thankful that we serve that kind of God. But let me present a scenario to you tonight. The upper room was filled. The people in the room were filled. But what if there was no emptying? What do I mean by that? So it goes on to say that when it was noised abroad, people heard them speak in their, own, in, in their native tongue, saying, you know, these people shouldn't know my language. And, and then that led to Peter stepping up and, and preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, through which we get the Acts 2.38 saving message. Could it be that if they never left that upper room, if there never would have been an emptying after an infilling, could it be that maybe, just maybe, and I know that everything in the book is ordained by God and, and it's His perfect will, but just help me make a point here. They were all filled. The room was filled. The Holy Ghost came down. What if after they got their blessing and they received the Holy Ghost, they just called it a day? What if it never would have spilled out into the streets? What if the people from Rome and Greece and Asia had never heard them speak in their native tongue? What if there never would have been that witness? The infilling is so very important. But there has to be an emptying after that infilling. 2 Kings chapter 4, and then this is where we're getting to. The importance of emptying yourself. Being full is important. But I think being empty is maybe even more so. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditors come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. So in other words, her husband died. He owed money. She didn't have any way to pay him. And she was afraid that the people that she owed money to was going to come and take her two sons, sell them into slavery. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me. What hast thou in, thy house, in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow the vessels abroad, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. 
So he told her, go out and find some empty pots, empty pitchers, empty cups, empty glasses. Anything you can find, bring them into your house. Don't just get a few of them. Get everything you see. See an empty water bottle laying on the side of the road. Pick it up. Bring it in. You need every single empty vessel that you can possibly find. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shalt pour out into all the vessels. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a, there is not a vessel more in the oil stayed. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Sorry, my phone just dinged. Again, my iPad is kind of embarrassing. Oh, well. All she had was a full vessel. Sound familiar? We're full vessels. She had a need. She needed money. She had a debt to pay. Hang on a second. I need an empty vessel. I didn't think this through. Two more. Oh, that one's tough to get down. I should have done some pre-planning. Probably one of my personality traits not to pre-plan. Oh, thank God. I got you. I'm watching the clock too, Brother Josh. <laughs> a full vessel. It's important to remember that when this story started out, she had oil. She didn't have an empty vessel. She had a full vessel. But that's all she had. It said, all I have in my house is one full vessel of oil. That's it. Now, it goes without saying that if they never would have went looking for an empty vessel, all she would have ever had was one full. Get it? Get that, that's the math of it. They don't have any empties all I'll ever have is one full. If I have one empty, then I'll have two fulls. If I have two empties, I'll have three fulls. And so forth and so on it goes. As long as there's at least one empty vessel, it'll be full. And the one I started out with will be full too. Matter of fact, I believe 
that she didn't really know how many empty vessels she had. Because she asked for more. And they said, there ain't no more. She said, bring me yet an empty vessel. Now, this is the point I'm trying to make. Church, we are full of the Holy Ghost. We're full of power. We have power through the name of Jesus that we don't even utilize. We have more power over disease, over death, over fear, over the enemy, over hell, over anything that comes at us. We have more power than what we realize. Because we're not in a position, because of our fullness, to be able to fully rely on God. You get what I'm saying? We, generally speaking, we, and, and I'm going to say this as nice as I can, we, we don't have to trust God for our next meal. Now, I know all blessings come from Him, but where we're at here, there's very few truly, truly hungry, starving people that are down on their knees praying God, if I don't have a meal in the next day, I'm going to die. Church, we have more power. We have more Holy Ghost authority than any of us ever realize. We have room to pour it out. We have plenty left over, but listen. This is the call of God to His church today. And it says it right there in 2 Kings verse 4. Chapter 6, and it came to her when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. There's enough of this Holy Ghost to go around, church. What we have to do, we have to bring the empty vessels. We have to bring them in off the streets. Guys, what I'm saying is we have to bring our fullness out there, empty ourselves out into this world and show them what kind of God we have. Church, there's empty souls walking around in, in Catahoula Parish. There's empty lives walking around in Harrisonburg, Jonesville, Gina. They're looking for something to fill their lives. They're looking for something to fill that God-shaped void. Church, and we have it. We have the power of the Holy Ghost. We have to bring yet empty vessels into this house. Pour out into them. And I'll guarantee you when you pour out, you're going to be refilled. Just like that pot of oil. Bring yet an empty vessel. Church, that's our charge today. And I'm done. Bring yet an empty vessel. Hallelujah. Let's worship Him. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's all